to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Chapter 5, if you're a guest with us, we're so glad that you're here with us and we want to welcome you. Hey, let's give our guests a round of applause here this morning. We're thankful that you're here. And uh, there is a card in the seat back pocket in front of you called a Connect card. If you would fill that out, you can uh, take it to the Welcome Center, which is directly across from the main sanctuary doors. And we have a little packet of information we'd like to give you. We also, again, as always, want to join everybody on our live stream. We're so glad you're here. And anybody else who's listening to this later, um, we're glad that you've tuned in. Did you know that every year 500,000 or so people are released from prison across our country? Nearly a half million uh, people are released from prison. Now, for many who have been incarcerated for a considerable amount of years, that transition to freedom isn't easy. It's very difficult. A statistic support this statement. Nearly two-thirds of those who are released will be back in prison within three years. Why? Here's what they found out. Some of the most common problems that these people face are difficulties finding st stable housing. Uh, inadequate access to drug and alcohol treatment, the lack of job training. But that's not all. Another significant difficulty, and perhaps even the greatest difficulty, is their ability to learn how to navigate through a world that they've been secluded from for so long. It's been said that long-term incarcerators, uh, it's been said of them that when they are sentenced, that sentence never ends even when they step out of prison. And uh, as difficult as it may be, there are people here to help. There's people here to help. And actually, we're partnered with a group that is specifically targeting these people that are coming out of prison because they understand, listen, you have uh, basically the whole world against you when you come out of a situation like that. You've made some bad choices, yes, and, and you, you know, whatever, you're, you're there. But, but how, uh, how can uh, our community come together and help these people to transition into, uh, you know, not only being uh, free, but also being successful in their freedom, right? So they don't go right back to what they're doing because most of these people, uh, the reason they fall back into their bad habits is just basic needs. I mean, living situation, you know, food, money, uh, these types of things. Trying to get a job as a, a, a felon, everybody tried to do that before. It's, it's not very easy from what I understand. Uh, so, um, you know, the Place of Hope is currently, uh, tr they, they have some houses that they own on the south side of down, the southeast side of downtown, and uh, we went over and did some cleanup there with them, but they own, they, these houses are dilapidated, they need to be rebuilt, and their hope is that they can get these houses, uh, you know, uh, built up and, and livable so for transitional housing for people that are coming out of prison or coming out of their drug and rehab place. The Place of Hope is a drug and rehab place here in Columbia. And, uh, uh, you know, so I say all that to say, would you join us in praying with them? Because we're partnered in this with them. And it's a big, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge undertaking, right? I mean, to, to do what they're trying to do. But we know that God is big, and we believe God is big. So we're going to pray and ask God to do an incredible work. But as a body, let's begin to just pray for the place of hope, for wisdom, for financial provision, that God will just move mightily. And, and ask yourself, Lord, how can I be involved in this? What can I do to help with these, you know, half million people or so that are coming out? What can I do? Listen, you have the words of life. You have the most important thing. I don't care if you have, you know, a dollar in your pocket. You have the words of life. It's more valuable than anything. You have the capacity to bring hope to somebody who's in a hopeless situation. So you have what they need. And so how can you be involved in that? We as a body, I would like to see us, uh, you know, I would like to see us help in a significant way in this particular, in, in this specific uh, uh, undertaking that they're, you know, they're, that Place of Hope is, is doing. And, and, you know, so be praying about how you can specifically help too. Not just as we as a body, we're going to do our part, but how can you help? Um, so add that to your prayer list. Now, I don't have any statistics to match this up, but did you know that many that were once incarcerated spiritually also, when released by faith in Christ, find themselves in a very similar situation? They don't know how to live in their freedom. The transition from bondage to freedom is difficult. And that's what Paul is talking to us about in the book of Galatians. He's, he's telling us, like he, 
He's telling us that we've been set free and, you know, and the problem is our mentality is we don't understand that freedom and we don't know how to use it. And so as we transition into the last two chapters of Galatians 5 and 6, Paul moves from defending his own personal, uh, you know, apostleship and the gospel that he preaches to defending the doctrine of justification to now saying, let's get practical. Let's, this is where the rubber meets the road in the book of Galatians from chapter 5 and 6 where he gives us some practical applications about how we can live in this freedom that we've been given. So stand with me if you would, and we're going to pick it up in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 1 where it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You're severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Father, we thank you for your word this morning for the reminder, not only of the freedom that we've been given, Lord, but the downside to trying to reach you by works, by our own human effort. You have told us over and over and over, and it's by grace through faith in Christ that we are saved. Lord, let us understand that truth this morning. Let us not try be trying to work our way to you, Lord, by doing good things, by showing up to church, by all these good things that we do, but may they not be our means of salvation, for if they are, they are in vain. Only Christ can save. Only his blood can remove our sin. And we ask you this morning, Lord, to help us to see that. Meet each and every one of us where we are this morning, God. We pray your spirit would move mightily in this place and that you would speak directly into every individual heart this morning. You care for us. You love us. You know what's going on in every aspect of our lives, and you want to meet us where we are this morning. So we just come and we ask by faith that you do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. For weeks, Paul has been telling us over and over and over again that we've been set free from the law, and he comes to the crescendo, what I believe is the crescendo in the book of Galatians in chapter 5, verse 1, where he tells us, for freedom, Christ has set us free. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. That was a specific kind of freedom, and it's not the kind of freedom that you can use to do whatever you want. That isn't the kind of freedom that Christ set us free to enjoy. He set us free so that we could serve Him, so that we could be obedient to Him. He released the shackles from your hands and your feet so that you would be free to move about this world uh, for His honor and for His glory. It's about Him. Your freedom is 100% about Christ. It's about elevating Christ. It's about using every ounce of your freedom to bring Him glory. And that's what Paul is trying to get these believers to understand. Somewhere in the mix of when we get saved and, and we come to Christ, somewhere in that process, our brains get turned around and we start to think it's about us. And, and, and you know, we think like, well, of course, we have a world that's telling us it's about us. We have a world that tells us, you know, it's all about you. Do whatever makes you feel good and all these kinds of things. But the Bible says otherwise. Listen, don't misunderstand. You are priceless in God's eyes. You're not worthless. That's not the, the message. The message is you're priceless, but he's worthy of your worship. He's worthy of everything that you can give him. He's worthy of your time. He's worthy of your talents. He is worthy of you using every, every moment of your freedom for his glory. He's worth that. And that's what he commands of us. You know, you were set free to go into the world and tell somebody else about this freedom that you're enjoying. That's why you're set free. That's the only reason that you're here after you come to Christ, folks. You're not here to um, enjoy yourselves, to self-indulgence, to, you know, live this life of licentiousness for yourself. No, it's about Jesus. The question we have to ask ourselves this morning is, how am I using my freedom? 
Christ has set me free, and I feel free. Uh, I feel, you know, like I, I can pretty much do whatever I want. But how am I going to use my time? Because you only have so much. You know, will you spend your life on something that will yield eternal reward, or will you spend your life on a temporary, you know, momentary thing that will, will fade away the moment you pass from this life to the next? What will you do with your time? What will you do with the freedom that you've been given? Paul tells us there's two commands that we need to understand here in verse 1 here. He tells us the first thing, if you want to use your freedom right, if you want to use it in, in the right way, then the first thing that you need to do is stand firm. You need to stand firm in the faith that you've been given. Not only that, but you also need to resist the yoke of slavery. Now, I like to put it in these two terms. I, I think that there's a parallel between what Paul is saying we're supposed to stand firm in and to resist. I, I like to think of life as a, you know, a road. Jesus said there, there's a way, there's a path to heaven, right? And I like to think of it in this respect, that there are two ditches on each side of this path. And, the, and this path that we're going on has a, a ditch of legalism and it has a, di a ditch of liberalism. And what we're supposed to do is just, in Paul's command, whether we're standing firm or whether we're resisting, is just keep it between the ditches, right? Can you do that? Just keep it between the ditches. The Lord's saying, don't get too liberal, don't get too legalistic, just keep it right in between the ditches, but it's hard, isn't it? And what happens sometimes is we're, we're in a ditch and we don't even know it. Like we're in this ditch of legalism and we're thinking we're, we're, we're moving and shaking for the Lord and the Lord's saying, oh man, what are you doing? Don't do that. You, you're trying to reach me by your own self-righteousness. That won't work. That's who Paul is talking to here. But there, the other side of it is the, the book of Corinthians, right? Where they're too, too uh, liberal. They're living too, too much in their freedom licentiously and trying to embrace grace in an incorrect way where we just say, well, who cares what you're doing? Because God is gracious and he loves you. So we're going to embrace everything that you're doing. No, that also is an extreme. God says the perfect place for us to be is right down the middle of the path. That's where Jesus walked. That's where he wants you to walk. We need to keep it between the ditches. And Paul said it like this in verse 13 of Galatians 5. He said, listen, do not use your freedom for opportunity for the flesh. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Specifically, don't become liberal or legalistic in your freedom. Use your freedom for Christ. Use your freedom to glorify him. And uh, he, he tells us, Paul goes on to tell us that, you know, these believers are in the ditch of legalism. And they don't even know it. They think they're serving God. They had these guys come into the, the, the churches there in this, their region, and they, they told them a lie. They told them, oh, yeah, Paul doesn't know what he's talking about, man. That guy, you know, he's been spreading all kinds of false things. In fact, what we deal with in this chapter is Paul actually will change his message depending on his audience. If there's people there that, that will embrace a certain thing, he'll change his message for it, which is totally false. And what we see here is that Paul says their message, these people are not from God. They're from the devil. Understand who you're, who you're hearing from, who you're learning from. Where are they from? Discern the spirit to know where it comes from. Paul is telling these believers that they are in a ditch of legalism and they need to get out of that because there is some severe consequences in this ditch. Namely, first and foremost, he tells us that Christ becomes no advantage to you. Look at verse 1 there. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Now, the, the tone in which Paul addresses the, these believers is stone cold serious right here. Like, he's not, he's not smiling, he's not joking around. He might be, there's guys that can be stone-told serious and smile. Pastor Chuck used to teach like that. He could tell you the most difficult thing with a smile on his face. But this is a very serious thing. He said, look. That is to say, pay attention. That is to say, um, you know, eyes up here kind of thing. Listen up. Because what he's about to say is vital to their walk. This is one of... Uh, th those sections in Scripture, we kind of talked about this on Thursday night, but this is one of those sections in Scripture that Paul will teach us how to use our freedom through warning, through warning us. Warnings are good in the Bible. 
Warnings are, are, are meant to, to distract us from, or de, de, you know, to put us back on the right path. He don't do this, Paul says. Don't, don't, don't fall into this yoke of slavery. He's warning them. And the simple warning is this. Listen, if you take hold of the law as a means of righteousness before the Father, you have to let Christ go. If you want to hold on to the law, then you have to let Christ go. You can't hold on to both. It does not work. Grace and the law do not mix. They are polar opposites of each other. Paul says you either embrace grace 100% or you embrace the law 100%. There is no in-between. And if you embrace the law, namely circumcision is what he's talking about, but circumcision was the first act in following all of the law. These Judaizers wanted, we're, we're not just talking about circumcision, they will talk about the whole law, but Paul said let's start at the beginning, circumcision. That is how a Gentile would become a, a, a proselyte, you know, somebody who would convert into Judaism through these rituals. M one of them was circumcision. These guys are Gentiles. The Judaizers say, no, yeah, you got to be circumcised. That's the start of it. Then you have to follow all the ceremonial laws, all the civil laws that, that they had, and uh, that, that would prove to be uh, impossible, right? But Paul is wanting these guys to understand that if they, if they, um, you know, cut themselves off physically, they're literally cutting themselves off spiritually. Literally, if you, if you cut the flesh off physically in circumcision, you're embracing the law, which means you've cut yourself off physically, spiritually from Jesus. He becomes no advantage to you. Now, this is going to be a hard statement to fathom. Jesus cannot save you if you've embraced the law. Jesus cannot save you if you've embraced the law. He cannot because you're trusting in yourself. And salvation comes by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. He is, he is the only way. And if you've embraced anything else outside of that, you can have no part with him. You're either in with him or you're not. There is no in-between. So with that said, how we live our lives demonstrates who we're really living for Therefore, you know, we can kind of answer the question, how am I using my freedom by just looking at our lives and just looking at how we spend our time. Look at your checkbook register and see where you spend your money. Who are you elevating? How does that all work? Paul says, don't, don't live for yourself in your own power as if you can reach God through the law. You cannot. Jesus would become no advantage to you at that point. Uh, Paul goes on to warn these guys not only does Christ become, you know, of no advantage to you, but listen to this. The bondage you put yourself under is unbelievable. Look at this, verse 3. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Paul tells these guys, listen, you cannot go halfway in this law-keeping thing. You can't. If you're going to try and reach God by the law, you better get brushed up on the 613 commandments that are found in the Old Testament. 248 of positive, 365 negative. You better know them and you better live them, not just one a day. I'm talking you better live every one of them, 613, every day of the year or you fail. Because understand, law keeping, the obligation to the law is 100%. It's a pass-fail system. It is pass-fail and every person fails Everyone fails. There is, no there is no way. That's why Jesus said, I am the way. Because there is no other way. You know, if it were possible to, to, to keep the law, then Christ wouldn't have come. God would have just said, listen, there are only a few that will make it. And those few are whatever, the, the proud, the Marines. I don't know who they are. But <laughs> there we go. We got some Marines in this place. So, but, but the reality is, <laughs> that Jesus is telling them that you cannot do it. You can't do it. Paul tells these guys, you can't do it. You're obligated to the entire law. James said it like this in James 2.10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. Pass, fail. You either pass or you don't, and you don't. Period. How blessed are you going to be under that? How incredibly joyful will you be? being under the law, the burden of the law. That's why he said, 
resist the yoke of slavery because it's a noose of death. Listen, you slip your head into that thing, you ain't coming back. You will die. And you'll stand before the Lord and he'll say, why didn't you accept the grace that I offered you? The free sacrifice of my son. Why didn't you just come to me that way? Why did you have to try and come on your own? I can't help you. I am of no profit to you, no advantage to you. Saddest words in the world. Paul says you'll become strangled because you will be obligated to keep the entire law. Not only this, but check this out. You also become severed from Christ. Look at verse 4. You were severed from Christ who you would be, uh, you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Wait a second. How does this work? Paul's talking to believers. I thought we were secure in Christ. If, if, if we're in Christ, then how can we be severed from Christ? That's a good question. I think a better question is, are you in Christ? That's the better question. Listen, uh, the, uh, Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you are in Christ, then you are justified before the Father. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Your past, present, future sins are washed away. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are secure in our salvation. We talked about this on Thursday night. If you want to hear more about that, you can pick it up on our iTunes or our website or, you know, our Facebook or YouTube or whatever. You can pick up that, that, um, that question from asking from a friend, am I secure in my salvation? The, the, the answer to the question is a resounding yes, but the question you have to ask yourself is, do I really have it? Do I really have salvation? Am I really in Christ? Paul says the identifier becomes whether or not you're, you remain fully reliant on Jesus for your salvation. That becomes an identifier of whether or not you're really in Christ. Because if you're in Christ, you understand that you have no power. There's no way I'm slipping into the law in terms of a means of righteousness. It doesn't mean I won't stumble in legalism. And I won't say, you know, well, I don't, you shouldn't do this because, you know, whatever. It doesn't mean that we don't stumble in legalism. What it means is that what he's talking about is somebody who is trying to find their way to God through legalism. They think it is the way to righteousness. But we know justification comes by grace. It's, it's the only way. And so Paul says that the believers who fall into, or people who fall into that category have literally fallen away from grace. They've fallen away from grace. They have, it, it literally means to abandon a former relationship or association or to disassociate. It's to completely and totally say, I don't need Jesus. Okay, that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That is the only sin that, is, that cannot be forgiven, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, to reject Jesus Christ. If you reject Jesus Christ, you were never saved in the first place. That is the reality, and you'll see why if you listen to our sermon on Thursday. But... What this means is, the idea of it is, this falling away means that you become apostate. You're not believing in Christ at all. You're believing in yourself. Which, I think also, this also adds a layer to the, um, to the, ones, to the people who believe that you can lose your salvation. Because normally, their, 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 their deal is that it's all about sin, right? I mean, well, yeah, of course, you're securing your salvation so you can do whatever you want, right? That's why, well, that's why I'm saved. I mean, I just want to do whatever I want because I have freedom. No, that, that's not the reality. You know, oh, once saved, always saved, right? Um, that's not in the Bible, but, that, the, but, but the principle is, it is true, that if you're genuinely in Christ, you're saved, you know? But, but this, this brings a whole different layer to it because the context of the passage is not being licentious in your living. It is being legalistic. It's the direct opposite of what most of these people say, and they use the term falling from grace. Oh, well, you've fallen away from grace. There's no more grace for you. No, grace always exists for unbelievers, but for people who try and find their way uh, to, to, to God by legalism, yeah, you've fallen away from grace because you're trying to live your life in self-righteousness. That's why. And so this adds a layer to that, but, um, you know, it it's a dreadful thing to be severed from Christ, is it not? Just for a moment, try and imagine before you came to Christ what your life was like and had you died, oh my gosh, 
you would have been severed away from Christ for all of eternity. And I don't know if you think about that, but when I think about that, that motivates me to tell somebody else about Jesus because I, somebody told me about Jesus when I was in that state, when I was severed from Christ, when I had fallen away from grace in the sense of not knowing him. The grace still existed for me, though, and someone told me about it, and I came to Christ as a result of it. Listen, to be severed away from Christ would be a terrible, terrible thing. And for, for somebody who was in the church who professed to be a believer, the only way that that could happen is if they were an unbeliever, not a believer at all. 1 John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. The weight of this is tremendous. Anyone who decides to be justified by law moves outside of Christ's capacity to save. Paul further explains in this in verse 5 here where he says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You know, Stuart Townden, he, he penned this song in Christ Alone. You know the song? It's a beautiful song. I love this song. I, it, the song. The theology of this song is just profound. It's, it's so true. But the way it opens up is, in Christ alone, my hope is found. My hope is found. That's what Paul is saying here. He is saying, in Christ alone, your hope is found. You have no hope for righteousness outside of Jesus. It's in Christ alone, your hope is found. There's nothing more true in all the world. Christ is our hope of righteousness. And apart from him, there is no hope. True biblical hope can only come by faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. Plain and simple. Listen, the outward vessel, no matter how much you try to polish it up and shine it up, it will never, ever meet the standard. It will always be stained and tarnished. You cannot brush, you cannot just simply change the exterior and think that God is okay with you. You have to have an inward change. You've got to change from the inside out, not just the outside. And that was the problem with the Pharisees, is they only changed exterior alert. They, they, they only change from the outside. They, from the inside, Jesus said, you guys are dead men walking. You're dead inside. You are completely and totally, un, un, you are defiled inside. You think you're clean. I'm telling you, you're not. Why? Because outward obedience does not make a person clean. It doesn't. If you're training your children, right, you know this well. You can get your kids to do anything externally. You get over there and you stand in that corner right now. Well, okay, I will. You know, are you teaching them anything? Probably not. They're simply obeying your words. What do you want to do? You got to get to their heart. Get over there. You get in that corner and you stand there. And hopefully when they're standing in the corner, something clicks in their mind and they become broken inside and they come back and they say, hey, dad, will you forgive me for what I've done? Now, that's real. That's genuine repentance. That's what God is looking for in us. He is not looking for external obedience. He's looking for internal obedience that bursts this external life. That's what he wants from us. Paul says, whether you're circumcised or not circumcised, doesn't matter. That's external. It does not matter. What matters is if you're circumcised in the heart. That's what matters if you're circumcised on the inside. God has thankfully given us a new heart, amen? He's, he's taken, taken the hardness away. He has, he's given us a heart of flesh, as Ezekiel tells us, and we are now moldable and pliable, and we can hear his voice, and we can make changes because he's given you a new heart. So we have to, you know, and we want to take care of that heart, the Bible tells us, because out of it will spring the issues of life. We want to be discerning with our hearts what we allow into us. You and I, empowered by the Spirit of God, can now hope and love because our trust isn't in us, it's in Jesus. Paul goes on to remind these believers of this truth by reflecting back on their early days of regeneration. Look at verse 7 here where he says, You were running well. 
You hinder, uh, who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. It's always a guy. You know, he does it, you know. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who, un- who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Kind words from a kind man. Paul reminds the Galatian believers here of their beginnings. He says, man, you guys were running so well. And remember, remember back when you just got saved and you were so excited and we would sit down, we'd have Bible studies and you guys would just be there beaming, just waiting, like, like leaning in to press into every single word that I said. Remember that? You guys would then go out and you were sharing with people in the community. Man, you were just loving life. Now look at you. Look at you. You stopped running. And in fact, you're going the direct opposite way. You're going backwards. You've abandoned the path. What are you doing? Who has swayed you? Paul wants us to understand this very simple truth. It's not enough to start well. It is not enough to start well. You must finish well. It was said like this by the writer of Hebrews in in verse 3, verse 6, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Jesus said the same kind of thing. He said if you endure to the end, if you hold fast, there's, there's a litany of scripture that speaks about the concept of us enduring, persevering in this life. That is not the means of salvation, folks. It is the evidence of salvation. It is the fact that we are saved, and that's why we do it, because the Holy Spirit resides in us. We have the power to do these things. It's not enough to start well. We have to finish well. And Christ is faithful to make sure you do. He who has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. God will complete the work in you. You just let him do it. Just, just keep your hands in your pockets, would you? Just let him take care of it. He'll shape you. He'll make you who you need to be. Don't get in the way. It's not enough to finish, not enough to start well. You must finish well. Paul says this. He goes, man, I have confidence in the Lord. I love this. Now, if you have the King James, New King James Version, it says, I have confidence in you in the Lord. It's the same thing. He's saying the same thing. I like the way the ESV says it because it's very plain. I have confidence in the Lord, period. What's his confidence in? His confidence is in God's ability to take them from this, whatever, this, this rogue state that they're in and bring them back on the right path. He's confident in the Lord that the Lord can do that. And I'll tell you what, I find great, great hope in this passage. Because I don't know if you're like me, you probably are, but... You know, I get worried about people that I know and love that are not on the right path, and I, I start to feel the burden for them. I start to begin to think like, man, I got to do something. I got to get in, get in the game, Lord. I got to go over there, and I got to slap them up a little bit or something. You know, I got to make sure that they understand the ramifications of the decisions that are making. And who am I putting my confidence in? Myself. Myself. We'll see in a minute. Paul says, I have no confidence in the flesh. Philippians 3.3. Put no confidence in the flesh. Don't trust yourself. You can't carry that burden. You don't have, listen, Christ is enough, but you are not. So where do you put your confidence in? The Lord. The Lord. I think when you have people in your life that you're worried about, that you're incredibly, you know, concerned about, the most powerful and most effective thing that you can do is trust God with them and pray for them. And allow because only God can change their heart. Now, God will move you if you're supposed to go do something. But the first place you should find yourself is on your knees, not anywhere else. Paul understood the grave situation these believers were in, and he didn't drop everything he was doing and run to Galatia, did he? He didn't run to the region and go, oh, I got to make sure I get there because I'm the only one that can save them. No, Jesus is the only one that can save them. And if and if Paul would put that kind of pressure on himself, he would have, he would have been undone. 
He, he couldn't have held himself together. But he has the right perspective. Put your confidence in the Lord. You don't think God loves them more than you do? He died for them. Have you died for them? Christ loves your loved ones or whoever it is that you're worried about more than you could ever know. And he is pursuing them relentlessly. He has never stopped. Day and night, he seeks them. So put your confidence in him and his ability to reach them. And listen, don't freak out or fret about this. Just know that the Lord will stray. The Lord will bring the stray back. He's the one that pursues the lost sheep. And he does an amazing job at it because he's the good shepherd, right? We're just... We're, we're um, under shepherds, right? We're, we're just um, sh sheep hands, right? And, and, and we're, we'll do our best with what he gives us and we'll do what he tells us to do, but he's the good shepherd and he knows how to reach his sheep. So we leave him to do that, that work. Paul goes on to address this notion that he preaches circumcision. It was preposterous. Now, where did they get that? Maybe from Acts chapter 16 where Paul said Timothy has to be circumcised. You know, and Paul said he was to be circumcised not because he wanted him to fulfill the law, it was so that he could be used great, in a greater capacity to evangelize the Jews. That's why he was circumcised. Timothy was like Paul. He was both a Greek and a Gentile. And he could, um, that's the same thing, a Greek and a Gentile. Did you know that? He's, he was both a Jew and a Gentile. You're like, you guys are all like, yeah, he was a, he was a Greek and a Gentile, man. That's right. <laughs> he was both. He had, he had dual citizenship, right? And so he, if he were to get himself in a position externally that he could reach people with the gospel internally, why wouldn't you? I have become all things to all men for the purpose of Christ's glorification. That's what Paul said. And Paul was telling Timothy the same thing. Now, these guys, the Judaizers were saying, oh, yeah, Paul changes his message all the time. doesn't matter who. Sometimes he's grace. Sometimes he's law. Sometimes he's circumcision. Sometimes he's not. And, and, no, that's not right. Listen, and the Lord may do that with some of you. Be careful how you judge people and what they do because, you know, God may ask people to step outside the box, right, and do some things like have church in a bar. And you might be thinking, whoa, that doesn't seem very Christian, man. Really? People are coming to Christ. I don't care where you meet. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, is Christ being taught? Is Christ being preached? That's what matters. It's him. You know, is he being elevated? So be careful about how you look at other people and what God has called them to do. In this moment, Paul said, Timothy, be circumcised because God's going to use it in your life to uh, open up a door for you, right? So he, he tells the man, That's just, this is just ridiculous. These people, um, you know, if I was preaching circumcision, then the cross would be a no offense to anyone and I wouldn't be persecuted. Every place Paul went, he was persecuted. Listen, he, he was persecuted heavily from the Jews because he preached grace. He was preached heavily from, uh, persecuted heavily from the Gentiles because they were pagans and they didn't understand the grace or law. These Gentiles, uh, you know, they don't even understand the law and yet they're embracing something like this and Paul says, man, you're foolish. What are you doing? He says, I wish those people that were telling you this stuff would just emasculate themselves, literally become a eunuch. You know, it's interesting. There's a couple reasons for that, I think. Maybe he said it because... Uh, you know, if you were to become a eunuch in the law, according to the law, you were unclean for the rest of your life. You'd be unclean. Paul's saying, hey, why doesn't your external just match the internal? Because you're already unclean. So why don't you just cut yourself off? Maybe that's why. Maybe also he said it symbolically, wishing that these guys would have no ability, no means of being able to reproduce any offspring in the spirit with this false gospel. That they wouldn't be able to move forward and... and, and continue to perpetuate this false gospel that they were teaching. They appeared free, but they were not. So Paul reminds these believers that they were called to freedom, not for themselves, but for the Lord and others. Look at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out. And you are not consumed by one another. Here's the point. You were called to freedom, so live in it. He said in, in verse 1 of chapter 5, for freedom Christ has set you free. He says it right here in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. It's a reminder. 
He's only 12 verses in, and he's reminding them again. No, no, you've been set free. He's been doing it constantly throughout the entire book. So live in this freedom. Use your freedom as an opportunity to serve one another, not your flesh. Christ sets you free to serve. He sets you free to serve him. And in serving him, you're serving others. He, he wants you to do that. The reason, listen, if you're stuck in this place and you're like, oh, I don't want to serve other people, you know why? Actually, you're serving someone. You're serving yourself. That's the reality. You will serve somebody. The question is who? You know, are you going to serve yourself or are you going to serve the Lord? Again, you are serving somebody. I don't want to serve people in the church. Man, they're just take from me all the time, all this kind of stuff. But you're serving yourself. And Jesus said, you know, that his servants are supposed to serve. He didn't come to, to be served. He came to serve. And people that he calls on his team, it's the A team, by the way, he wants them to be in the A game. He wants them to, he wants them to play. Listen, he, does, he doesn't call bench warmers to his team. Everybody has an active part of the body of Christ. Everybody has something to do. And he's called you to that. This isn't me speaking. This is Paul speaking. This is the Holy Spirit speaking. And he says you are, you are set free to serve each other. The Spirit of God has set you free. So don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. You know, oh man, I have so much time today. You know, I'm just going to watch TV and do absolutely nothing. And there's people that need help, and you're, you could go help them, but you're too busy doing nothing. Serve. Serve. Listen, I, I love Paul's heart here because he was the servant of servants. Uh, he says at one point in one of his letters, I can't remember where it is, but he said, I am being poured out as a drink offering. And the idea of this, you know, to me is, I have just given myself over, Lord, to you. I have emptied myself 100%. I have given myself over to you, and I've done whatever it is that you've put in my path to do. I've tried to be as selfless as I humanly possibly can. That's the goal because that's how Jesus was. If you want to become more like Jesus, you have to become more selfless. You have to love other people more than you love yourself. That's what he's saying. Love other people more than you love yourself. If you love other people more than you love yourself, then you will, will automatically serve them. You will automatically serve them. And this is not something that is, can be done in the flesh. It's a spiritual birth. Like the love that he's talking about here is a, is a sacrificial love. That means I'll, I'll do whatever I have to do for you. Well, you can't do that in your flesh because you care about yourself too much. You're the, you're the number one person in your own eye. But in the spirit, God makes everybody else more important than you, more important than your time, more important than, you know, whatever it is that you have. Christ has set you free to do that. You're not obligated, but you're empowered to do it. You're not obligated. The spirit gives us a love that will move us to serve. And it becomes the means by which we die to our flesh. You know, we're living in an era, I think, in, in, in the church, particularly in this country, where this, is, this has become an obligation and not a privilege to serve. So the pastor gets up and he says, okay, guys, well, we're really hurting this month. We really could use some people in children's ministry. We really could use some people out there at the foyer to welcome people in and everything, you know. We can't do it without you kind of thing. And, and you know what? No. Uh-uh. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to do. It, it's plain right here. I don't have to say another word. Amen? It's plain right here what you are instructed to do by the Holy Spirit. You know? So help. Do what he asks you to do. Get involved. I love this, this concept of, you know, you think like, well, how is that going to make me more like Jesus if I serve? Serving in the body of Christ, you know, makes you more like Christ. And I thought of this. I thought, you know, remember Karate Kid? Remember that show? He was, 
in, in Mr. Miyagi's driveway waxing cars. And he's like, what is this, man? He, he's in his garden clipping flowers. And he's painting fences. And he's thinking, this ain't karate. How am I supposed to learn karate doing this? Oh, Mr. Miyagi says, oh, Daniel, son, you're okay. You just keep doing. You keep serving. And, and, and before you know it, you, you see this, you remember the scene where, where Mr. Miyagi puts it all together for him. And he says, he goes, man, I've been doing all your work for you. I'm not your slave. Da, 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 da. And he goes, Daniel, son, stand up. <laughs> I don't know what he said, but he said something. And then, he, and then he starts punching him, and he says, wax on, wax off. And he starts blocking his punches, and he starts doing this stuff. And you're like, whoa, he knows karate. Oh, my gosh. You know, that's what it's like to serve in the body of Christ. You become more like Christ, man. It is. Mr. Miyagi, no, Mr. Miyagi is a picture of Jesus in the karate kid. You're Daniel's son. He wants you to serve. He wants you to do something because he's going to make you more like Jesus. Amen? That is the truth. It's not obligation. It's love, man. God wants you to do it through love. He wants you to serve the body of Christ because it will make you more like Jesus. And not only that, but it, it, is, it, is, it is a means of fulfilling the whole law by loving. It's not by doing. It's by loving. But your loving will will end up causing you to do. It's like James said, show me your faith and I'll show you my works. Why does he have works? Because he has faith. Why do you serve the body? Because you love. It's the same idea. It's not the opposite. Because if you serve out of obligation, you will not love. In fact, you'll become disgruntled. You'll become upset with people. Well, why don't they do something over here? You know, I'm over here sweating. <laughs> and God's just like, oh, why? Why do they have to do this? It's not obligation. This is your incredible privilege, folks. I want to, I want to, here's a great quote by Luther. You want to know whether or not you're loving your neighbors yourself? He said this. If you want to know how you ought to love your neighbor, ask yourself how much you love yourself. If you were to get into trouble or danger, you would be glad to have the love and help of all men. You do not need any book of instructions to teach you how to love your neighbor. All you have to do is look within your own heart, and it will tell you how you ought to love your neighbor as yourself. Ask yourself how you want to be treated. Ask yourself how, how you would feel if you came in and no one greeted you. Ask yourself how you, you know, ask yourself and God will reveal what it is that you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. Just look within. Paul ends verse 15 here by he's saying, listen, at the end of the day, uh, you know, be careful that you don't bite and devour one another. Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. By one another? By people in the body of Christ consuming and biting and devouring each other? Hmm. But how true is that? It's sad. Paul told you to watch out for it. He said, watch out. Why? Because it's going to happen. And you know what happens when people get bit or they get devoured a little bit? They get mad at Jesus. And then they, then they bail on the church and they're like, well, you know, I knew, this, I knew the church was like that. I knew that, you know, I couldn't be vulnerable there. I knew I couldn't, you know, open up myself because people would just devour and bite me. Yeah, so beware. But also, be vulnerable. Be part. Be part of the community. Be engaged. It just comes with it. But be discerning about who you share your stuff with. Be careful. Don't go around blabbing it to everybody. Make, you know, look for people that are like, like you know, in the book of Acts when they were looking for people to serve tables. They didn't just go out and say, you look like a waiter, so do you. No, they looked for people that were filled with the Holy Spirit. You need counsel in your life? Don't go to the person that has a wrecked life. Go to somebody that you clearly see the Holy Spirit working in in their life. Now, that person that has a wrecked life will become a counselor in that area at one point. But if somebody's going through something that you're going through, don't go to them for counsel. Go to somebody who's worked through it already. Go to somebody that's full of the Spirit of God. You know, 
that, that came from nowhere. So there you go. That's a free one. But, but here's the thing. Don't devour each other, but beware. It, it can happen. Paul's just saying don't act like a pack of animals that devour each other. Love one another. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We, we glorify you. We thank you, God. You're so good to us, and we are just amazed by your love and, and your ability to forgive and your willingness to forgive us, Lord. We ask you this morning as we prepare our hearts for communion that you just move us in the, in the right way, God, in, into the middle of that road that we talked about earlier, God. We don't want to be in either ditch. God, we want to be on the right path. And we ask you even right now to just move in our midst and uh, just draw each and every individual to yourself. Lord, for those who, who are here this morning that may not know you, that you have opened a door for them today, Lord. You've said, come on in. I want you to come in. I, wanna, I want to uh, commune with you this morning. I want you to partake of this um, symbolic uh, right that, that we as the church do in, in recognizing the blood and the body of Christ. But you, you need to do it as a believer this morning. And all you need to simply do is confess your sin to God and ask Him to come inside and replace it with a heart of flesh, with a, a spirit that you would be reborn again. It would just be a simple prayer with sincerity and heart that is turning over your whole life to God just saying, Lord, here I am. You know me. You know everything about me, and, and I'm asking you to cleanse me this morning because I'm a sinner, and I've failed you, but I know that I can't make it to you on my own. But I know Jesus made a way for me this morning, and so I want to accept him as my Lord and Savior. I believe that he died for me, that he rose again from the dead for me, and I'm accepting him as my King and Lord. I'm crowning him king today. Make me a Christian. And then fill me with your spirit that I might use the freedom that I've been given this morning to glorify and elevate you. And Lord, I pray for every believer in this place this morning as well. That you would help us, Lord, to just evaluate our lives, to examine ourselves continually, Lord, to ask ourselves who were we living for, and to allow the, the facts to speak for themselves, where we spend our time, our talents, our, our finances, whatever, Lord, that you would help us to see this morning. And that, Lord, if we find ourselves in off track, in a ditch somewhere, Lord, that <laughs> we just come back in repentance this morning and we fall on our knees before you. You gave all so that we could live, so that we could be free. May we give all in honor of what you've done for us this morning. So we just want to recognize that, Lord, and we, we just pray that our hearts are prepared for communion this morning, and we just thank you for the opportunity to do it, and we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.